Picture this, if you will. You're a primary care physician evaluating a 64-year-old female who began dialysis for end-stage renal disease several months ago. When you ask her how she's feeling, she states that she's getting used to her new dialysis routine, but she's been feeling unusually lethargic recently. Furthermore, she's been experiencing cramping abdominal pain, and she's not having regular bowel movements, and so has started taking an over-the-counter fiber supplement. You review her lab work and notice, with some surprise, that her calcium levels, which have historically been low, are now substantially elevated. How do you explain this change to your patient? And how would you manage her new calcium abnormality? And welcome to Audio Bricks. I'm Arjun Iyer, bringing topics from endocrinology from our bricks to your ears. After completing this section, you'll be able to 1. Define hyperparathyroidism and explain its classification as either primary, secondary, or tertiary. 2. State the most common cause of primary hyperparathyroidism and describe its most common clinical findings. 3. Describe how chronic kidney disease causes what's known as secondary hyperparathyroidism and explain how it may lead to tertiary hyperparathyroidism. 4. Describe typical clinical findings in patients with secondary and tertiary hyperparathyroidism and contrast these with primary hyperparathyroidism. And finally, 5. Outline the typical management of hyperparathyroidism. Part 1. What is hyperparathyroidism? The parathyroids are these four small glands attached to the posterior surface of the thyroid. Now, hyperparathyroidism is kind of a weird disease process in endocrinology because it's the overarching term that describes several very different disease processes. But the one thing that all forms of hyperparathyroidism have in common is higher than normal levels of parathyroid hormone, or PTH. And note that I said higher than normal, not excessive. Because you see, high levels of parathyroid hormone can either be a result of a dysregulated parathyroid or an attempt to compensate for dysregulation elsewhere in the body. But hey, I'm getting ahead of myself. We haven't even gone over what these glands do yet. PTH is one of three hormones responsible for calcium homeostasis in the body, the other two being vitamin D and calcitriol. Calcitriol is the one that lowers the serum calcium when it's too high, but both vitamin D and PTH work to increase the serum calcium. And you may be wondering, why have two different hormones working on the same thing? And it all comes down to the bones. See, while the level of serum calcium is vitally important, at the end of the day, the percent of your body's calcium dissolved in the plasma is basically nothing compared to the quantity of calcium found on your bones. Vitamin D is the hormone that works on getting the body the raw materials it needs to make strong bones. Not only calcium, but also phosphate, the other component of the bone material hydroxyapatite. But it takes a while to acquire all the raw material by absorbing it in the gut and keeping your kidneys from wasting it all. If you need to increase your serum calcium and you need it now, well, that's where your friend parathyroid hormone comes in. Now, if vitamin D is the slow, steady, responsible one, PTH is like your uncle, who's always got some get-rich-quick scheme, always focused on the short-term solution. While it also stimulates gut calcium reabsorption, when the serum calcium is low, the parathyroids basically just look at all that calcium sitting on the bone and think, eh, why wait till dinner time when you eat some calcium, and just start stripping calcium out of the bone mineral. But bone mineral is not just made up of calcium. If PTH breaks down hydroxyapatite for calcium, what else is going to get released into the serum? You got it, phosphate. 
And so PTH has to not only make the kidneys retain calcium, but also excrete all that extra phosphate generated by breaking down bone mineral. Otherwise, it's just going to mineralize back onto the bone with its best friend calcium again, or in more awkward places, like the walls of your blood vessels. And just like your get-rich-quick uncle, the body needs somebody responsible to make sure parathyroid hormone doesn't just turn your bones into jello by taking out calcium loans from the bone bank. So, one of the actions of parathyroid hormone is also to activate vitamin D, specifically by upregulating the final activation step in the kidneys. That way, the body has a way of restoring the bone mineral that was lost. Now, the weirdest thing about hyperparathyroidism is the nomenclature. Primary, secondary, and tertiary, differentiated based on cause. Primary hyperparathyroidism, like any other kind of primary endocrine process, is due to excessive levels of PTH, caused by abnormally overactive parathyroid glands. So, now that you're all endocrinology studs, tell me, what would you expect the calcium and phosphate levels to look like in primary hyperparathyroidism? High levels of PTH lead to hypercalcemia and hypophosphatemia, which is how we normally suspect primary hyperparathyroidism. Now, secondary hyperparathyroidism is a bit of a weird name, because parathyroid hormone doesn't have the same sort of three-level endocrine axis like some other hormones do. When a patient has chronically low serum-free calcium, the parathyroid glands will appropriately upregulate the secretion of PTH to try to correct this deficiency. You could almost call it primary hypocalcemia instead of secondary hyperparathyroidism, since the parathyroid gland isn't actually the problem. Now, chronic hypocalcemia is most commonly caused by chronic kidney disease, less commonly by vitamin D deficiency or gut malabsorption. Tertiary hyperparathyroidism is an even weirder beast. It occurs when long-standing secondary hyperparathyroidism causes the glands to hypertrophy, such that even when the calcium levels are appropriately corrected, the parathyroids will autonomously oversecrete PTH. Now, we're going to dive into each of these quite a bit more, but first, let's review the basics. What is the main stimulus for the parathyroid gland to secrete PTH? Hypocalcemia is the main stimulus for PTH secretion. Part 2. Primary Hyperparathyroidism like we mentioned, primary hyperparathyroidism is a condition in which at least one of the parathyroid glands gets just a bit too excited and releases too much parathyroid hormone. And the question, as always, is why? Now, the most common cause of primary hyperparathyroidism is a parathyroid gland adenoma, a form of benign tumor. Rarer causes of primary hyperparathyroidism include parathyroid hyperplasia and parathyroid carcinoma. One important little tidbit of information is that primary hyperparathyroidism is the most common cause of hypercalcemia diagnosed on an outpatient basis. A lot of the times this is picked up when asymptomatic on a routine chemistry, but some of the key signs of hyperparathyroidism-induced hypercalcemia can be remembered by the mnemonic bones, stones, groans, and psychiatric moans. Don't ask, it just had a rhyme with owns. Bones refers to the bone pain caused when excessive PTH causes progressive demineralization of the bone. Not only can hyperparathyroidism lead to osteoporosis, it often causes a fairly characteristic pattern of bone resorption known as osteitis fibrosis cystica. Pockets of activated osteoclasts can lead to cystic bone lesions, also called brown tumors. But they're not actually tumors, that's just a dumb name. 
Microtrauma to the weakened bone causes hemorrhage into the cystic space, and the blood is digested by white blood cells, causing brown hemosiderin to be deposited within the fibrous stroma. Blood, not cancer. And now maybe it makes sense why these patients have bone pain. Additionally, when the collagen in the bone breaks down, hydroxyproline from bone tissue may be seen in the urine, and this can be an important finding in hyperparathyroidism. Stones refers to the kidney stones that can be caused by hypercalcemia. Another renal effect is nephrogenic diabetes insipidus, where the kidney can't respond to antidiuretic hormone, leading to polyuria. Groans refers to all the groaning you're going to do as you try to have a bowel movement. <laughs> no, seriously. Hypercalcemia can cause all kinds of gastrointestinal distress that can include not only constipation, but also generalized abdominal pain, peptic ulcers, and even acute pancreatitis. Finally, psychiatric moans refers to the range of psychiatric symptoms hypercalcemia can cause. They range from garden variety depression, all the way to confusion, seizures, stupor, and even coma. There's a couple of complications of hypercalcemia not covered by the mnemonic, however. The first is diffuse muscular weakness, and the second is disruption of cardiac electrical activity. And the latter includes a shortened QT interval on electrocardiogram, and occasionally, cardiac arrhythmias. Pop quiz time, gang. Why are the cystic bone lesions often called brown tumors? Cystic bone lesions are called brown tumors because of the hemosiderin deposits within the stroma-filled lesions. Abnormal labs in hyperparathyroidism include, most obviously, increased PTH levels and hypercalcemia. But it's important to make sure that the patient has a normal renal function, as measured by normal serum creatinine levels or a normal estimated glomerular filtration rate. Hypercalcemia will generally lead to increased urinary excretion of calcium as well, despite the fact that PTH causes the kidneys to attempt to retain calcium. Because at some point, the levels of serum calcium overwhelm the ability of the transporters to reabsorb that calcium. The urine phosphate level is increased due to the effects of PTH, and while you might expect hyperparathyroidism to cause hypophosphatemia, remember that the increased phosphate excretion is balanced to some extent by increased phosphate generation from the breakdown of hydroxyapatite. So generally, you'll only see a mild reduction in serum phosphate, if at all. Part 3. Secondary Hyperparathyroidism Secondary hyperparathyroidism is an example of a very stupid naming system in endocrinology because there's actually nothing wrong with the parathyroids. In fact, in secondary hyperparathyroidism, the levels of PTH are appropriately high in order to compensate for diminished serum-free calcium caused by some other problem in the body entirely. Now, any cause of chronic hypocalcemia can be the culprit, like gut malabsorption or vitamin D deficiency, but the most common cause of secondary hyperparathyroidism is chronic kidney disease. Now, why chronic kidney disease, you might ask? Well, in chronic kidney disease, or CKD as the cool nephrologists call it, phosphate is not properly filtered and excreted by the kidneys, which increases the serum phosphate levels. And since phosphate is best friends with calcium, the increased phosphate will bind to the serum-free calcium, decreasing the calcium levels. Finally, due to the combined effects of elevated phosphate and decreased functional renal cell activity in CKD, vitamin D precursors aren't converted to active vitamin D, or calcitriol. Remember, the final step of vitamin D activation occurs in the kidneys. And the decreased levels of calcitriol lead to decreased absorption of calcium. The combined effects of low calcium and increased phosphate stimulate the parathyroids to secrete more PTH, 
which initially is beneficial in normalizing calcium and actually upregulating the activation of vitamin D by the remaining tubular cells. But as CKD progresses, parathyroid hormone is no longer as effective at promoting phosphate excretion or as effective in stimulating vitamin D activation since there simply aren't enough renal tubular cells left to stimulate. It's like beating a dead horse. You can keep trying to stimulate it, but it won't go any faster. What does happen, however, is that bone gets reabsorbed faster and faster, and the phosphate building up in the serum binds to calcium and deposits all over the vascular system, leading to some pretty heinous cardiovascular disease. Even worse, the renal tubular acidosis that often accompanies chronic kidney disease drives hydroxyapatite towards spontaneous demineralization, simply by virtue of the low pH. Let's see if you got all that. What is the main cause of secondary hyperparathyroidism? Chronic kidney disease is the main cause of secondary hyperparathyroidism. Now, this complex disruption of calcium and phosphate homeostasis is called the mineral and bone disease of CKD, formerly known as renal osteodystrophy. Patients present with bone pain, much like with primary hyperparathyroidism, as well as bony deformities and decreased mobility due to the buildup of calcium phosphate in the joints. Laboratory findings for secondary hyperparathyroidism due to CKD include hypocalcemia, hyperphosphatemia, increased PTH, and increased levels of alkaline phosphatase. The bone disease of renal osteodystrophy can be confirmed by bone biopsy, but this isn't really commonly done because it's common enough to where it's a fairly predictable consequence of CKD once a patient reaches a certain GFR. Part 4. Tertiary Hyperparathyroidism Like I mentioned, tertiary hyperparathyroidism is a phenomenon that occurs when long-standing secondary hyperparathyroidism progresses to parathyroid hyperplasia and hypersecretion of PTH despite the correction of hypocalcemia. Basically, the glands function like a parathyroid adenoma, releasing hormone without responding appropriately to the serum calcium levels. And this is especially common in patients whose chronic kidney disease progresses to end-stage renal disease after they begin receiving dialysis. Findings of tertiary hyperparathyroidism are similar to those of secondary hyperparathyroidism, musculoskeletal pain, itchiness, lethargy, and pathologic fractures. These patients are still prone to hyperphosphatemia, but the main distinguishing feature of tertiary versus secondary hyperparathyroidism is that the elevated PTH often causes hypercalcemia rather than hypocalcemia. Let's review that real quick. What are the expected abnormalities in secondary versus tertiary hyperparathyroidism in the context of chronic kidney disease? Secondary hyperparathyroidism is associated with hypocalcemia and hyperphosphatemia, whereas tertiary hyperparathyroidism is associated with hypercalcemia and hyperphosphatemia. Part 5. Management and Treatment of Hyperparathyroidism Treatment of primary hyperparathyroidism requires addressing the underlying cause. If primary hyperparathyroidism is caused by an adenoma, then surgical removal is the definitive treatment. But that's not as easy as it sounds. See, the surgery is difficult and often fails because some of the overactive gland tissue gets left behind. And a common consequence of the surgery is hypoparathyroidism, resulting in hypocalcemia that requires long-term calcium replacement. Now, if medical management is selected instead of or in addition to surgery, bisphosphonates like alendronate are indicated for primary hyperparathyroidism. 
These directly inactivate the osteoclasts, which causes a decrease in the amount of bone loss. Another option is sinicalcid. It's a calcium mimetic, meaning that it looks like calcium to the parathyroid gland. Basically, it tricks the parathyroid gland into turning off PTH secretion by binding to its calcium receptors, which is a pretty neat trick. Patients with secondary hyperparathyroidism and CKD also require addressing the primary cause, which is chronic hypocalcemia. Synthetic calcitriol increases the calcitriol levels in the blood, and hyperphosphatemia can be addressed by limiting dietary phosphate intake and administering gut phosphate binders. Dialysis will relieve the acidosis that contributes to renal osteodystrophy and partially correct the hyperphosphatemia, but the only thing that will normalize all of the problems inherent to mineral and bone disorder is renal transplantation. If a patient with CKD has progressed to tertiary hyperparathyroidism, well, it has all the same problems associated with primary hyperparathyroidism, and similarly, the treatment usually involves surgical parathyroidectomy. Final review, gang. What single treatment will correct all of the metabolic problems that contribute to mineral and bone disorder of chronic kidney disease? And the answer is renal transplantation. And that's a wrap. Let's see what you learned about hyperparathyroidism in all its many forms. First, can you distinguish between primary, secondary, and tertiary hyperparathyroidism? Primary hyperparathyroidism is when excessive levels of PTH come from overactive parathyroid glands, like from a parathyroid adenoma. Secondary hyperparathyroidism is the term for chronically elevated PTH secretion that occurs in response to decreased serum-free calcium levels, the most common cause being chronic kidney disease. Finally, tertiary hyperparathyroidism occurs when long-standing secondary hyperparathyroidism progresses into autonomous hypersecretion of PTH, even when the calcium levels are corrected. Second, can you list the most common presenting symptoms of primary hyperparathyroidism? Hyperparathyroidism is often asymptomatic, but the symptoms of elevated calcium can include bones, as in bone pain and resorption, stones, as in kidney stones, groans, as in abdominal pain and constipation, and psychiatric moans, referring to the neuropsychiatric effects of hypercalcemia. Third, can you describe two ways in which chronic kidney disease disrupts calcium and phosphate homeostasis? Now, this is a pretty big topic, but in short, chronic kidney disease causes phosphate retention and the elevated phosphate binds to calcium, causing the serum calcium to decrease. And this is further exacerbated when the decreasing tubular cell mass leads to decreased activation of vitamin D, lowering the gut absorption of calcium. Finally, can you state the first-line treatment for primary hyperparathyroidism and its complications? Primary hyperparathyroidism is usually caused by an adenoma, which would generally require surgical removal. But the surgery is often not successful, since gland tissue may be left behind, and complete parathyroidectomy often results in chronic hypocalcemia that requires lifelong supplementation. Now, armed with your newfound knowledge, let's get back to that patient from the intro. A patient who recently started dialysis presents to your office with new onset of symptomatic hypercalcemia. 
How do you explain these findings? And what management does this require? You explain to your patient that after years of her parathyroids trying to correct the calcium and phosphate problems caused by her chronic kidney disease, you suspect that they're now so used to over-secreting parathyroid hormone that they just can't stop. We call this tertiary hyperparathyroidism, you inform her, and while it's difficult to be sure, it may be hard to treat. You instruct her to stop taking her calcium and vitamin D supplements, but inform her that this may not solve the problem. And if that doesn't work, you tell her, you might actually need surgery. It's possible these glands have gotten so out of control that we don't have any choice but to remove them. But for now, though, let's try the least invasive options first and see what we can fix just by adjusting your medications. And that's our show. If you like what you heard, make sure to like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Remember, your feedback helps us improve. You can enjoy the full BRICS experience online at www.usmle-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. So go check that out if you haven't already. Until next time, friends.